In a world where modern media pushes the bounds of imagination, two men embark on a journey to discover lost heroes, daunting villains, and heart-wrenching conflict. Join them in their quest in the never-ending narrative. Well, hi, everybody. This is the NeverEnding Narrative. I'm Matt Yeager. And I'm Pat Osmick. And we're coming to you today. This is episode four. Episode four? That's crazy. Oh, uh, we're, we're putting up big numbers now, Pat. <laughs> oh, big numbers. Yeah. Uh, today, we, uh, we thought we'd, we'd change things up a little bit. I know we've been talking about world building and things like that. And we're going to change up the format because both of us recently saw... Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, we did. Uh, it was it was such a good movie. I I think I would be uh I think it would be fair to say that it is the best popcorn movie that's going to come out this summer. I'm I'm I mean, we're in August, so it's it's getting kind of late anyway, so it's kind of a safe bet. That's true. I I would not dispute that so far. Yeah. And uh so that's kind of uh we wanted to just kind of talk about Guardians and why we thought it was so great today. Um so to start off, let's just say that there's going to be lots and lots of spoilers. <laughs> if you have not seen this film, you should not be listening to this podcast. Well, just this episode. You can go ahead and listen to all the rest of them. But this episode is going to be filled with Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. spoilers. Yeah, so just go back and listen to your favorite episode of the last three. Right. You know, you've got so many to choose from. <laughs> uh, so, so Pat, you've seen it twice, actually. I did, I did. Uh, because we, you saw it with uh, some of our buddies, and then you saw it with me. Mm-hmm. Because you know we gotta we gotta share these experiences together. Uh, but there was a little bit of a difference between the two, <laughs> as far as your experience in the theater. Right. Well, um, I, I am I am kind of an audio buff. Um, I would say um, I do uh, I do some live sound, uh, you know, mixing, and uh, generally I'm very I'm very in tune with the audio side of things. And so I'm always irked when I go to live concerts or anything when something is wrong and it just sticks out like a sore thumb uh, for me and takes me out of it, and so I can't enjoy it. Um, so thankfully, this happened on the second time that I saw it, so it didn't really impact my uh, perception of the movie, but I was sitting in the theater and I'm like, you know, something's different from the last time that uh, I went to see this movie. And I'm like, I, I can't really understand the the dialogue as well. And, I'm, and then I realized, oh, the center channel audio um, for their system was lower, uh, like quite significantly. Mm-hmm. You know, in regular, like, talking scenes, it was okay, but if there was any music or action or whatever, uh, the the um, dialogue started to get quite drowned out. And so I'm sitting in, in my seat and just uh, obsessing about this over and over again. I'm like, okay, well, I've already seen it. I'm not going to miss anything. Should I get up? Should I talk to anyone? <laughs> do, would they even know what to do? Or would they just look at me with this dumb expression on my face and say, your center, what hurts? Right. Buddy, I just, I just cleaned up the popcorn off the floor. <laughs> I really don't know what you want me to do right now. Right. But you've, you've done that before, actually. I remember um, it was, I believe it was Irish Fest a few years ago 
uh, we were at a concert, <laughs> an out, outside concert, and you actually walked up to the the sound guy with all his sound equipment up on like a big platform cage right. deal, and we're actually trying to get his attention to change some things. Well, I I, I think. I think I only did this once and it was after the show and I'm like, you know what? Cause I was, the, the bagpipes were so ear piercingly shrill that it's like, I know you can, you can do it better than this. Sure. If you just roll off the high end a bit, it'll sound much more pleasant. Right. And I gave that feedback to the sound guy and as, as one would expect, he just kind of grunted at me and walked away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause you're just one of, of the crowd. Right. You know, um, criticizing his artistic choices or whatever. As the, as the sound guy. <laughs> hey, hey, it is an art, okay? I, I'm not... Okay, I guess I was kind of being a bit flippant about the, the artistic character of yeah. the sound guy. But that's the problem if you don't approach it like that. And you don't, like, treat it with the care that it, you know, deserves. You know, you're going to get whatever you get. Well, people like me are glad that people like you care about this stuff. Because when I was in the theater, I did it, it did register for, like, a couple times with me that something was off with the dialogue Mm -hmm. but my mind did like didn't even look at the rabbit hole to go down to Mm. figure out what was going on it was just like oh movie more movie okay move on because we're still watching the movie right yeah but to me it like i i couldn't enjoy or or, like perceive the movie anymore after that because it was just so apparent to me that's uh that reminds me of a time when I went to go see Batman Begins, I believe, for the second time in mm. the theater. And we were at this big ultra screen. And thankfully, I've already seen it a second time, like you said before, like for you. Um, but throughout the entire film, there was a red line down the, like the, the, the horizontal center of the, of the film. Like, yeah, I think I was there as well. I remember that. And it, like, I was just not happy at all. Because like, you're paying a lot of money for ultra screen tickets. Oh, yeah. And I, it was, it was not a pleasant experience, but it's like, you know, we, as consumers, we're paying good money. We should complain and give feedback about that. Did we? I don't remember. I don't think we did. Um, uh, the friend of ours that we went with did not see it previously. So he was just like, I just want to see it, you know? Um, and we also don't have the, the, the gumption or the guts to do it. Like, uh, our friend Carl does. (laughs) That's Uh, true. To tangent one more time off, uh, mm-hmm. he he is a huge James Bond buff, like just any anything and everything about James Bond he loves. And Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones. And he went to a local theater where they were advertising, at, like they were playing an old James Bond film. So he's all excited. He goes, he pays his money, and he's watching the film, and he realizes they're just playing a DVD of the film. <laughs> And he's like, I have the DVD at home. I can do that whenever I want. I wanted to see the actual film strip of this James Bond film. So he just walks right out and just demands his money back. Which was just kind of funny to me. And I'm like, but what's the difference? It's actually, it, it's probably just about the same quality. I mean, maybe even better because the film strip by now is probably, you know, mm-hmm. degraded by a lot. And so the engineer technical guy in me was just like, oh, come on, please. But. And no, the, that's and what the, he, that's not what he expected. Yeah, and the guy I'm definitely on his side because I was it was it's just the principle of the thing. Like don't don't do that to me. Yeah. I would rather the film strip burn as it's playing so I can I can know for darn sure it was the film strip <laughs> than them play a, a silly little DVD of it. Well, fair enough. 
Well, maybe we just need to, you know, not let the man take advantage of us anymore. I know, right? We just need to walk up to that that poor kid's counter and demand <laughs> that the man give us back our money. <laughs> and give some some kid paying, like, minimum wage, like, the worst day of his life having to deal with Right, customers. dealing with you, the schmuck who came to watch, like, an old James Bond film. Right. Uh, so yeah, so that was some of our experiences going to movies. Uh, we don't, we don't go to movies very often. Not really. Like I would say maybe three a summer. Oh, it's three this summer so far. Sounds about right. Uh, so, you know, but we, we do enjoy seeing films, just not necessarily paying a lot of money in the theater, but that's a whole different discussion. Uh, so guardians of the galaxy. I enjoyed so much of it. Mm hmm. Uh, even starting off in the beginning, they had this very touching scene. His mother dies and you get like that immediate origin story. Like you see a big chunk of what his character is going to be in just that short little, Mm -hmm. little span. I, I, I appreciated the fact that they started off on a very narrow, small personal note. Yes. Rather than starting with some, you know, sweeping introduction to the galaxy and the state of whatever Mm -hmm. you know it was it was a very poignant thing and following that right away they they show another part of his character that he's built along these years where he's kind of just like the laid back kind of outlaw thief kind of guy and he's just doing his deal getting his kind of almost indiana jones style in the beginning he was getting the 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 artifact Uh, i think i've seen a couple people mentioned that they were hoping that he was going to do like the the sandbag weight <laughs> distribution kind of trick uh but no he just puts out the the gravity generator that just pulls it towards sure and so you so they immediately already set up the um the star lord character mm-hmm. i think very well yeah. because you see uh in the beginning what motivates him in the back of his head a lot of times uh and then also just how he deals with those those first few guys that attack him, you see kind of like his style, how he figures things out, how he gets out of trouble and mm-hmm. whatnot. And so that was just Star-Lord and right. four yeah. whole other characters. Well, and, and going back to that, this is something that I guess I just kind of realized right now. Another great thing about starting off with like his backstory is a kid and that kind of traumatic experiences when you go into that silly little dancing around and, you know, using, you know, a little iguana thing for a microphone or whatever it, um, it isn't just silly. It gives the silliness context yes. and it almost, it, you, you can tell like a whole bunch of his character arc from that just without almost not saying a whole lot. Um, and it, it gives a whole lot of weight, more weight and depth than just saying, Oh, he's this silly little guy who runs around the universe, mm-hmm. but you know a whole lot about him right off the bat. Yeah. There's definitely, uh, many visual cues, um, and cues in, in how he says things and how he acts that, that just build a, a pretty well-rounded character. Like, and even towards the end of that first scene, uh, where he gets in the ship and there's a lady on the ship. He's like, I, I didn't even remember that you were here. You know, so you kind of see him. He's, he likes to sleep around with the ladies a little bit, and that's part of his character. And, uh, but he's he's pretty laid back, even during like some of like the important times. But he still takes care of business. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's flawed, but maybe not in a very dark way. You know. Yeah. Uh, we I 
I like that he's flawed in more of a slight cowardly way. Hmm. Like if if he has to, if he's forced to, like he'll start shooting some guns and and kicking butt. But a lot of times he's like, I'd rather just not if that's okay with everybody else. Right. Uh, or unless like something's very important, he'll he'll kick into action again. Like you see later in the prison scene when they're getting out and they almost are about to escape and he goes all the way back for his uh, tape player. <laughs> uh, you know, it shows where his priorities are. Right. Well, it's it's silly, it's fun, and it's touching all at the same time. Yes. Uh, and so, so that was just uh, Star-Lord's character, which uh, was played by Chris Pratt. Have you ever seen him anywhere before? I have heard he's in a community, or a TV show. Was it Community? It's Parks and Recreation. Or Parks and Recs. Okay. And I've only seen a few episodes of Parks and Rec. Uh, but it was some of the first episodes. And so when he's introduced as the character in Parks and Rec, he is just this loser of a guy. Huh. He's like broken both of his legs. So he's on the couch with two leg casts and he's the most useless human being ever. Um, but you know, and you, you know, the kind of type, you know, where like the poor girlfriend has to like attend to him because she doesn't like want to, you know, break up with them, even though he's just useless. Right. And so, you know, but he's, it's not registering in his head that he's just a completely useless being. So he's just like, he's got like a grabber and like, he's always asking her like do stuff for him and like make him <laughs> sandwiches and whatnot. And so it was kind of interesting to see that, like that being the only Chris Pratt thing I've seen uh-huh. and then see now where he's like this, you know, muscular buff, uh, young fella, just kicking butt, taking names and, you know, uh, just striding around the galaxy. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think I think Chris did a really good job. He I, did. I think Mr. Pratt I shouldn't be so informal. Mr. Pratt. Mr. Pratt. <laughs> uh, I think he did a, a great job of playing the character that was that was written for him. Yeah. So so Mr. Pratt, if you're listening to the podcast, we really enjoyed you. We movie. respect you enough yeah. to call you Mr. Pratt, and not Chris. You know what? Screw it. No, it's Chris. <laughs> uh, so I think Chris really did a good job. Uh, then there was Gamora. Mm-hmm. the the trained assassin uh-huh and i liked her character it i unfortunately i don't think it was fleshed out as much as the rest of them mm. and i think that with more time in the story it would have been like i just think that things got cut short on her arc mm. which is fine like you know like we we got to see a lot of like these characters develop and see where they go um but, you know, I just would like just with every other good character, I would just want to see more, more interactions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a good job of kind of showing that at first, like she's this hardened assassin. But then you realize that she's been forced into uh, this lifestyle, mm-hmm. this life that she's in. And so now that she has a chance to kind of just like slump your shoulders and relax for a second with these guys, because, you know, she's not always on guard, not always. You know, everyone's like, even like her own sister, it seems like at any given time, like everybody's ready to like stab each other in the back in that circle where that she started in. And now she's in this group of friends or, you know, uh, building up this friendship Mm -hmm. where she can kind of roll her eyes a little bit. Be like, oh, you guys are silly. You guys are kind of dumb. Uh, And just, you know, you you see that little softness to the to the hardened assassin. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of that, though, her sister, um, did you recognize who her sister is? I was very disappointed in myself. You didn't? Okay, so (laughs) I actually saw in the beginning, I'm really bad at 
like names of people yeah and credits like my my old roommate was the best at like reading credits and knowing exactly who people are talking about i actually read the credit like i i remember reading it said karen gillian that's her name right yeah reading karen gillian (laughs) some like minute thing registering in my head nothing got put together and so i just let it go interesting and then i saw her and i recognized her eyes very well like her eyes are very distinctive and so even though she was like covered in makeup and had this whole costume on, I knew that it was someone that I'd seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't necessarily enough. Well, and probably because I was so distracted by like all the action that was going on sure. that I wasn't just going to sit there and be like, who is she? Who is she? Who is she? Um, but yeah, so I was a little bit disappointed that I missed Amy Pond, bald Amy Pond uh, <laughs> in there. But I'm glad that she she's in there. Yeah. I uh, I don't think I've seen much of her since Doctor Who. Uh, nor have I. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was good to see her. And looking back on it now, it, she definitely had that uh, that Amy Pond kind of uh, like defiance a little bit. Yeah, she does. The, she does the death stare pretty well. Yeah, she's really good at that. And so, yeah, like I said, it did register. Thing neurons were firing off, but not enough to make a full yeah. connection. Right. I, I was the same way. I didn't. I knew she looked familiar, but I didn't know who it was. But then when I saw her name in the credits, then I connected okay. the dot. But I don't think I read it at the. Did it scroll through at the beginning of the movie? They had some of the the big the, uh, yeah. like they normally do. They have like the right. big actors in the beginning. Yeah. You so know. it was afterwards that I. Okay. Yeah. So we both kind of dropped the ball. We did. That's okay. And was she she wasn't in the movie. As much as you would think, because even in the scenes that she was in, she was very much not the focus of the scene. Right. Um, so like in the, the one where they're talking to Thanos and she's like, she's just off to the side, like fixing her arm randomly. She's like, you know, just got to tune up while we're talking to, to old, good old dad up here. Right. And thanks dad. Thanks dad. <laughs> yeah. She was just like not having any of it. She wasn't very impressed by anybody. And even in the, the action scene where like they're getting chased around and like she's leading the pack but the focus was more on the the heroes for lack of a better term like sure. all the little in their little mining carts you know just going around and shooting off lasers mm-hmm. so yeah maybe i can kind of blame the movie for me not realizing sure that it was her you know blame okay. everybody else uh but yeah so that was karen gillian uh getting back to gamora was played by zoe saldana oh. hopefully i pronounce that right uh, I've seen her in a few other things. Have you? I don't think I have. It, it's possible that you've seen, but uh, thinking of the stuff I've seen her in, I don't think you have. Okay. Um, but I, as an actress, I've always liked that she, like in everything she plays, she has like this air about her, like this, like immediately like, when she walks into the room, like there's like a, a thing of respect. Whereas mm-hmm. like a lot of times with like female roles, they're... I don't know. Like they're they're sometimes like not taken as seriously for some reason. Maybe yeah. that's kind mm-hmm. of a generalization. I don't know. But like it always seems that whenever whatever role she's in, she, when she comes in, she's like got the respect going on. Oh, you've seen her. Duh, she's a horror in the Star Trek films. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know she's always it. She just is always like standing up straight, like demands respect. Like she's always in the in the mm-hmm. group with the rest of the guys, which I love. Right. Um, Has the air of authority about her. Yeah. And it's it's so natural that you don't even notice it. Mm -hmm. It just kind of happens. Right. 
And but but characters are usually not written like that for yes. women. Yes, that is true. Um, I I also was glad that her and Karen Gillan's character did have some interactions with each other mm-hmm. uh, because there's surprisingly amount of movies where the the women even if like they they have names mm-hmm. they're in the film half the time or most of the time they're like whatever they're talking they're like talking about the main character and it's like usually a dude right there's like oh how do you relate to this dude mm-hmm. oh i relate to this dude this way how do you relate to this dude well i relate to this dude this way yeah there's a there's an official test movie yeah the bechtel test yeah if I'm pronouncing that right, I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. And it's it is such it's the simplest test. The test is like three questions. Are there two women in the film with names? Yeah. Do they talk to each other? And do they talk to each other about something besides a man? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, that's I mean, like, that just seems like the, the simplest thing ever. But then you look at the list of ones that fail that test it is remarkable. <laughs> And I, I, I kind of like thinking about the Bechtel test once in a while because mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that it's a barometer on if a movie is good or not at all. Yeah. But I think that it's like one of these little things on the side to consider when you're thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so I was glad that they had some scenes where it was just the two of them. You know, they had that fight scene towards the end. And um, I think even previously they were also talking about like who is going to be like the better – uh, not assassin because like they were going to capture the guy. Yeah. Um. So the better capturer. I don't know what that that word uh, is. Bounty hunter. There we go. Bounty hunter, which the bounty was father's approval. So sure. Ooh, that's yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, uh, very much enjoyed Zoe's uh Zoe's deal in that. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing her in more movies. Indeed. Uh. So there was also of course Drax. Who is played by Dave Bautista? Bautista. I'm yeah. I did that right. I okay. did it correctly. I, I'm a. I'm good at that. You, you I, are. I, I did it. <laughs> I just did it. Congratulations. Uh, so I don't actually know his background really at all. Hmm. Uh, by the size of him, I would say it is in something physical. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know if he's ever been like a strong man or a wrestler or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at that. A guy with a big handlebar mustache lifting dumbbells or something. Yeah, you know, uh, just picking up boulders and putting them where they really don't need to be. <laughs> uh, but I think he did a great job because the character that he played is this alien race where I don't know if they established that everyone's buff, but he's darn buff. I don't so. remember them saying anything about that. Okay. Like, it would have been nice, or not nice, it would have been kind of silly funny if he was just like, yeah, everyone's just just really built like me. Why, why wouldn't they be, you know? <laughs> uh, because, well, they what they did mention, though, is that his race takes everything 100% literal. Which I thought was a fantastic uh, little trope to use. It was yeah. it was very fun. Um, of course, I'm sure what most people's favorite line is, you know, where they're like, oh, metaphors just go over his head. And he's like, nothing goes over my head. Yeah. I have very fast reflexes. <laughs> Do not call me a princess. <laughs> oh yeah, he did say that. Um but it, it fed into his character in that uh it, it was it was very fun, like you said, like it it added to the comedy of the of the movie without being like da 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 slapstick a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh because when he would say stuff he was serious about it. Yeah. And he also wouldn't realize the ramifications of what he would say. Mm. Um and so when he took things very literally uh, some people took it, you know, because 
there's different forms of communication uh, where like you say something like, and it might literally mean that, or there's a simple thing that I'm not saying right now. <laughs> I'm not really tracking with you. I'm like, sorry. Like idioms, I guess. Oh yeah. 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 And so he would say stuff that would normally be like an idiom. It would mean something else, but it, he was just trying to communicate literally. Anyways, that was a bad explanation. Uh, but you also kind of saw his motivation where in the prison, he wasn't just like your everyday, um, criminal, you know, where you're very, cause most criminals are very selfish. They're doing things for selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. And so they only think of like everything in terms of themselves. Whereas his motivation was, is that his family died. And so with, yeah, but okay. I, I might have to challenge you a little bit okay. on that one. I think getting revenge for your family is a pretty personal, selfish thing. I mean, it's not it's, it's not an altruistic motive. Right. And you're correct. I Maybe the better word would have been greedy versus okay. vengeance. I guess... I guess maybe I am trying to paint vengeance more in a in a lighter light than <laughs> oh, like vengeance and, is a perfectly valid life and choice. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, Why would you more ever question that? This? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, and and he, but. Ah oh, man, his his arc through the movie was pretty awesome because he was in that place where he was totally obsessed about his family's death and what was taken from him and getting vengeance for that. And then he realized when he finally confronted the man who he could take all of his anger out on and he tried and failed and realized that in the end it was pointless. It yeah. was futile. And then he was just an angry man yep. and that it meant nothing. Um, and I thought that was fantastic. And not only did he learn that, but he also, because I think that snapped him out a little bit mm-hmm. of his vengeful ways. And so he also realized that what he was doing was throwing wrenches in everybody else's plan. And yeah. it was putting his newfound friends into danger. Mm-hmm. And so they were just bad choices. Yeah. Um, and that's, and they did, they had really good timing where they show that that kind of turned around. And now he's kind of more about everybody else, mm-hmm. about his friends. Uh, he gets a little bit more mushy as the things go on uh which yeah i I definitely enjoyed uh so that was uh that was drax drax i'm drax uh did you like the bald do you do you for some reason this is kind of a tangent okay like when you got like muscular guys doesn't it always seem like they have like more and more muscles they have the less and less hair they have huh Never really graphed the correlation or anything. There might not be any correlation. Oh, okay. Because now I'm thinking of Thor, who's pretty muscular and has the long blonde locks. I don't know. Maybe that's... Never really thought about it. All right. Maybe I'll investigate that further. Probably won't. Okay. I I expect a scientific report. You know, do your R-value correlation, plot a linear regression with (laughs) all the data. I'm going to have to, like, watch so many things of, like, wrestlers and strongman competitions and movies. It's not... It's... This is not worth a bet. <laughs> this this quest of of finding out the the hair to muscular proportions is not worth it. I would agree. Yep, yep. So moving on, uh, we have Groot. I am Groot. <laughs> uh, he, well, especially I. I don't know about anybody else, but again, seeing the credits in the beginning, I. I don't know if it was the credits, but I think I might have seen someone else mention before I saw the film that Vin Diesel was going to 
was going to voice mm. Groot. It's another one I did not pick up on until later. Oh, really? Well, I mean... Well, you, okay, I, did, I never picked up on it. I read it, and I said, really? Vin Diesel? Well, you're not, like, the biggest, like, Fast and Furious fan, are you? <laughs> hey, I've got every Vin Diesel movie. <laughs> You've got, like, the box sets. <laughs> no, I don't. No. Oh, that would be... I would... You would make poor financial choices, Pat. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so he's he voiced Groot, and it... Maybe I shouldn't have, but I, I was kind of like, oh, let's see how this goes. You know, because I don't see Vin Diesel as this kind of person. You know, like, he's always, like, the transporter or, like, the tough guy in Fast right. and Furious. You know, he's not Groot, which Groot was, like, this lovable, uh, endearing, just... It, uh, I remember Film Crit Hulk described him as essentially, like, he's your golden retriever. <laughs> you know okay sure he's just he's just gonna do whatever for you because it's mm-hmm. for you yeah and so, so often i mean if you've got an animated character they'll take physical traits from the voice actor and put yeah. that in the person to tie it together but in this case i think it was totally separate yeah they brought him in i believe after they designed the character oh interesting okay because yeah, i i remember the director talking about him doing like some voice just to like keep things going Mm-hmm. You know, like to make sure everything's working right and whatnot before Vin Diesel got on there. Mm. And so, but the, the Groot character was great. It, I think, again, is like one of those kind of tropey, kind of just like the, the innocent guy with like all, just tons of uh, hidden powers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, I th- it just worked, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the things that added to it working was his dynamic with rocket the raccoon yeah um because as a duo they do really well um whereas rocket was um who was he voiced by i don't remember and i can tell you in a little bit but uh oh bradley cooper which oh interesting yeah you know who bradley cooper is uh i recognize his picture that you have up but i didn't know the name before uh he you saw the A-Team. Yes. He was face, I believe, in the A-Team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was really fun. Uh, he's been in other stuff. He, uh, There was that film, I can't remember the name of it, but the one where like you take this super smart pill and like it opens up all your, your brain power and you become like the super smart oh, crazy guy. Okay. He's done quite a few things, and, I, and I've enjoyed him as an actor. Uh, I don't think he's like, you know, like the pinnacle of acting, but I've, every time he's been on the screen, I've just kind of enjoyed myself. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was great that he did Rocket, um, and so like so the the dynamic between the two of them, you know, Rocket is this guy that you find out pretty much like should never have been. Yeah. You know because it, he's you know not even a freak of nature like he was, someone took a raccoon and they made this this guy out of it, mm-hmm. and so now he has to deal with that. He's the only thing like him in the world. He's pretty alone. He was tortured and mutilated by, for lack of a better term, humanity. And, you know, so you see immediately when they, when they show him, the, the first scene that he's in, he's looking at people's faces. He's like people watching and he's just making some like, you know, horrible comments about everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see, you can see that he has a very much dislike for humanity, for yeah. people. And... But then again, in that, that first scene, you see Groot just drinking straight out of the fountain <laughs> like a golden retriever would out, oh, of, a, out of a water yeah, hose, you know? I see that. And uh, 
So, but it's always nice to see it with a character that like distrusts everybody mm-hmm. that they do have like one person that they trust. Yeah. Because then you, you feel that connection with them. Mm-hmm. And of course, Groot is that one person that he trusts. Yep. Um, and so even though there's a lot of like inner tor- turmoil going on, mm-hmm. you know, you see when he's drunk, he's just going crazy. Right. Uh, that there's like an anchor that keeps him to, to like not just being like a, a straight up jerk. Yeah. Um, but also is something that like changes him towards the end, you know, where he like these people that are in his lives. He starts realizing that they have similar traits like Groot where like they're looking out for him. Mm-hmm. They want to include him. They want to, you know, be a part of this. And so he starts kind of warming up towards the end uh, to different people, Yep, which is nice. And then of course, he's just like, you know, a badass at the end, just shooting off every single thing that's coming out of the sky. Yeah. It, it it is cool that um, it, even in a, a, a movie with so many characters that you can have actual character arcs for so many different characters yes. and see an actual progression there rather than just having stereotypical characters who are static throughout the, mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, and I, and it was nice, like you said, with this. You know, instead of him, instead of him just being like the stereotypical Weisenheimer, who's just like throwing off all these one liners. Mm-hmm. You see that there's a little bit more thought put into it. Yeah. You know, there's there's the whole bit where he gets Star-Lord to to get the guy's prosthetic leg. Yes. And is just amazed that he actually did it. Uh, it that was just such a fun exchange. Uh-huh. And you see that it, instead of just like, whereas like normally if that, like in that scenario where he's like giving everybody like uh, tasks what to do. He would have just looked at Star-Lord like an idiot and been like, you know, like, oh, and you can just, like, tag along or, like, just go off to the side a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. but he would make, like, a snarky uh, comment sure. about that. But they, they, they bring it deeper, you know? Yeah. And and make the humiliation that much greater. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes. Uh, you also see his kind of one of his also things is like self-preservation is kind of one of the more important things in his life. Yeah. And so when they, when they run out of that collector's place with the, the, the gem, he's like, why do we still have this? Like, this is the thing that is bringing us all this trouble, all this danger. Why do we still have this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so his, his like self-preservation motivation butts up against, um, Gamora and Star-Lord we're like, no, this is important. Like, we can't just let anybody have this. Mm-hmm. This is going to be really bad for everybody. Yeah. But he probably, at that point in his uh, character arc, he doesn't care about everyone else because they're the people that have made him like this. Yes. And they're the other, you know? And that's that's actually the scene where you kind of start to see the turn a little bit because he gets pushed to, uh, when he gets drunk and they're gambling and whatnot, he gets pushed to having a face himself again mm-hmm. like he's probably done many a times mm-hmm. then a lot of this danger happens and his motivation butts up against theirs they yell at him they're like we can't just uh let anybody have this, this is really bad we need to take care of this yeah. together and then you see uh after the action sequence star lord goes out to rescue gamora knowing that he is most like like 99 going to die yeah and so he sees this act of selflessness. 
Sure. Yeah. He's he's or witnessing this. The the heroism that he found <laughs> deep within himself. <laughs> but yeah, and so it, he he's witnessing this stuff. And I think that it's starting to kind of like mull around in his head, which you see the ramifications of later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, I don't know. I think Groot, uh, getting back to Groot a little bit, I think some of his stuff is like some of the most just kind of like on par, like just the, like the, this is what you get, you know, like you see mm-hmm. with his stuff, like, you know, you see him doing anything to protect his friends, literally yeah. anything. And it actually becomes more and more intense, the things that he has to do to protect his friends. Right. Um, which I thought was great. I thought it built pretty well mm-hmm. to, like, the stakes started getting, like, more and more and more. Right. Yeah, and if anyone was the rock or the constant in the movie, it was probably Groot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he uh, he was loyal at the beginning. He was loyal at the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, maybe maybe he was the glue that kept the whole team oh, together that's a, that's a good observation because yeah he like he even though he had some of his own arc with his interactions with everybody else he didn't have a like change like you just said like he didn't have a change of like ideals or whatnot mm-hmm. um he just was he was strong all the way through the end and he learned a new word he did we are Groot <laughs> no two new words what was the other one? Uh, uh, I am to we are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. are. Uh, you are correct. Thank I'm. You. I am Groot. You are correct. <laughs> uh, you, you are not Groot. I'm not. Ah, oh, dang it! I want to have the cool like the cool firefly power, where like just like little balls of light float from from my body. Keep dreaming, man. Light lights up the room, especially when I have to go to the bathroom late at night. I really wish I had that power. Okay. I mean, like you, you have to like travel around like different pieces of furniture oh i see i see i see yeah light light your way with uh yeah yeah it's it's not easy life is hard pat (laughs) especially when you have to pee at the middle of the night life is hard especially at 2 a.m that's all i'm saying okay okay um another thing that i really liked was the music selection indeed they you know they they picked these music pieces that you could almost guarantee that everybody knew right off the bat and each person had their own um connection to that so like it it brings Mm. emotion without having to like force it down your throat yeah um and and i think the really startling thing about that was was the the extreme juxtaposition mm -hmm. of the i guess i'll say the the classic rock or pop oldies with the the far future um you know state like that sort of music that is so familiar in a setting that is so far removed from that um it i I guess it heightens it and draws more um uh draws more attention to it whereas you know maybe if you had chosen that movie when you know you're doing a you know a 70s throwback film or whatever it would just have blended right in right and there's and it's so uh separate from the world that it built but it wasn't separate from us. And so it made the world even feel more real to us, I think. Hmm. Um, and it made, like, oh, man, they, they just picked really good songs. That you just <laughs> Once the music just started right up, you're like, yeah, I'm into this. I'm uh-huh. ready to go. Like, I know, I know immediately what the tone of the scene is going to be. 
Uh, and it's just it's a very it was a very good lead into each scene that it was involved in. Yeah, I mean the the music almost ended up being a character of its own. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, and 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 maybe you could view the music as a surrogate for Star Lord's mother in the movie. That was her. That was her soul yeah. and her presence. Because it would it would get her get him going when he needed to get going. It would comfort him when things were just straight up intense all around him. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think that it was a yeah, I do think that it was a nice little replacement for the mother. And uh I like the throwback to the beginning of the film, at the end of the film. Obviously, that's how they set it up mm-hmm. uh when he's reaching out for her hand. Um What did you think about the mechanic of the gem being so powerful that people can't wield it? Like normal mm. people can't wield it. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, it's almost. I mean, it's a, it's a convenience for the story, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise, uh, otherwise the the gemstone would almost be too powerful if anyone could wield it, and yes. there'd be a little bit, maybe too much chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of limits the scope of what can happen with it. What did you think about the explanation at the end where where they set up this film or they, they set up the story where they're like, well, not just anybody can grab it. Right. But then you have a normal human from Earth just grabbing a hold of it. <laughs> and then towards the end, like they I think they were like walking past a kiosk and they're like, oh, yeah, I did this uh, DNA scan on Star-Lord. And it turns out he's not fully human. Right. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, okay, that explains everything. Right. Oh, good to know. It also sets up for sequels. Yeah. Well, and they did foreshadow that at the beginning of the film. They did. Where where his mother talked about his father possibly returning and his father being composed of pure light. And, right. You know, you, you think it's maybe just her delusions as she's dying. Which but, is what her family obviously thought. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, us in the audience, we know, oh, that's not just any line of script being written. Right. And so, yeah, there's there's a little bit of... It's it's convenient. It's the chosen one trope. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- there was there was some of that in there, but it was, you know, it it had a relatively believable explanation within the film. It wasn't random. They did it intentionally. They set it up. It was convenient, but it didn't it didn't detract from the movie for me. Well, and it was convenient also to set up for a sequel or an offshoot, mm-hmm. and. So it made me think about the, like I said before, with like Gamora's arc kind of got cut short. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like it got fully fleshed out. Yeah. But that allows for a sequel or an offshoot. What do you think about these days where people like producers and directors go into making these films with almost guaranteed that it's going to be more than one film? Mm. Like with the Indiana Joneses, they, you know, they don't like... If if I remember right, they don't like really play it off as like, oh well, there's going to be another Indiana Jones. It, they were they were self-contained within themselves. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, um, I don't I don't necessarily um, see it as a bad thing to to expect another movie and to have an arc. Um, you know, as as long as you've got a plan and a narrative reason mm-hmm. for it, if you're just doing a sequel to make a buck and rehashing the same thing. Um, like w- w- one of the, <laughs> one of the maybe 
good examples of that recently or bad examples, however you want to look at it, would be the Iron Man series. Yeah. You know, Iron Man 2, total, complete rehash of the second one. And it was just not good. It was not good. And it totally, and I'm stealing this from some other friends that I've talked to who have made this point, um, but it it totally destroyed all of the character progression that Tony Stark had in the first film. That's a good point. He went back to being this child in a man's body. He um, did. And went through this same exact character progression that he Mm -hmm. went through in the first one. Mm -hmm. We've we've already seen that. He already went through the work to do this, and you destroyed it, and you're doing it again, and you're doing it not as well as you did the first time. Right. Why does this movie exist? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that entire movie just existed so that uh, so that Shield could be involved, and it, that it could set up for Avengers. Could be. That just well, and make a lot of money. Yeah, they made a lot of money. Right, and so yeah, I I have no problem with with sequels and and telling more stories in the same universe, as as long as you have a reason for telling that story. Yeah, and yeah, I def I I agree with that. I think that's a good point. Um, I guess sometimes I get like over cynical where like you just want to be cynical at everything. You're just like, <laughs> oh, they just want to make money. Oh, uh, why would they want to do that? And, like make more movies. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bad thing that they make money on a movie. Oh man. Those people who make money off of doing things that they did. Those people who devote their entire lives to a certain art form and expect to be compensated. Why for would it? they, why would we ever give them any money? <laughs> Uh, and also, like a, a caveat to what we've been talking about with the with the Star Lord, like background and different things like that. Uh, me and Pat have never read any of the Guardians of the Galaxy comic books, as I'm sure most people in the world are in that same. State. Yeah, this is this is a intellectual property that hasn't been. It, I mean, it's not Avengers. Like right. everybody knows at least one Avenger, you know. Um, which, you know. With the kind of, I think a lot of people have com- uh, compared this film to the Avengers, partly yeah. because Avengers was so big, mm-hmm. and it was at the time I think one of like the the better, if not best, Marvel films that they made thus far. Oh yeah, and so a lot of people have been comparing those to this one. And, I mean, there's similarities. It's uh, it's um, a superhero ensemble flick where you've yeah where you've the got ragtag group. Right, it's not just one superhero. You're focused on a on a group of people and their interactions, and so yeah, there are a lot of parallels. And it it got me thinking about what we've well, mostly what we've been talking about with the character setup. Uh, a lot of with the Avengers, they kind of just had to be like, hey, remember this guy, and remember this guy, and remember this guy, and remember this guy, go. Yeah. But they they couldn't do that with this one because like nobody knew what Guardians of the Galaxy was like a raccoon in space. Like who who the heck, heck knows what's going on? Yeah. Uh, and so they they kind of had to spend a lot more time developing these characters, which I think mm-hmm. was good that they had to do that. In, I, I totally agree. Because I, I want to see a, a fully fleshed out like character arc every single time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's it's easy to say, oh, OK, you already know who this character is. I'm just going to throw them in a big fight scene that we're going to look at for 20 minutes with no real content or anything. Right. Um, and and so since they're forced to do the character stuff, which is ideally the most important and interesting part of the movie, then we're at least guaranteed to get some of that. Yeah, and I think that it forces like the writers and the directors to 
consider their characters more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of thinking about how they introduced uh, like Black Widow in the Avengers. Mm. Uh, I think her opening scene was where she was getting interrogated by yes, those, yeah. those uh, fellas, and she turned it around. But like, it's still like none of that scene gave any motivation of what what she is. Um, what drives her? Right. We we got pieces of that later in the movie. We did, but and you, that you, came out later. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like immediately when they set up Gahora, they're like, "Oh, well, she's a, the the daughter of Thanos, and she's a trained assassin." And so, you, okay, we get that. And then, so she acts that out. They they um they reiterate that scene in the action that she acts like a, a trained assassin. Mm-hmm. And then they they go into the. Oh well, we haven't talked about the the lore dump that they did with the uh, when they processed everybody into the prison, right? Um, that was I thought that was kind of an interesting way to kind of tiptoe around the well. We've just got to kind of tell you who all these people are right now. Yeah. Um, which they had what's his name? Oh, I don't remember his name. Uh, the guy who's played with Will Ferrell a lot of times. Oh, he, yeah. He really made a lot of things that would fall flat just pop right out. <laughs> I really enjoyed that part his, of it. His delivery of some of those lines was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was the... Uh, uh, John C. Riley is his name. Okay. There was the the part where they're sending, like, not the distress call, but the things are about to go down, we need your help call. Yeah. And when as he's reading the message, it was something like... Uh, I know I'm a dick, but I'm not like a hundred percent dick. So you guys should come help me. And he, the the confusion that he had as he's reading this message, like I don't know what's going on, man, but I'm just doing what I'm told, and I'm just reading this off to you right now. It, it where it where the counterpart was that uh, British guy who was just kind of like he was he was better than everybody. Yeah. If he would have read that, it would have been a completely different scene. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't have stuck out to anybody. It wouldn't have like clicked with anybody. Which and I think that the the British guy did a really good job, but you know he did a really good job for what he was supposed to do. Yeah, uh, and I think John C. Riley, which was this, I didn't see that in the credits, and so when he popped up on the screen, I was like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy's in this film." Yeah, they uh, got some good talent. It made it so much more fun, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that's that's part of why we we thought it was like one of the best popcorn movies is because you couldn't help but just have a good time watching this. Agreed. Um, I don't know about the first time you watched it, but when we were watching it, I definitely felt like in the audience there was an energy of like, yeah, we're just having fun. We're just hanging out. It's summer. We're just watching a fun film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, which- yeah, and, and I saw it like on the Friday of opening weekend, and so there was there was definitely a lot of people in there, and it was uh, it's kind of a party atmosphere, and yeah. people were just excited and you know rooting for the movie. And mm-hmm. so it was, yeah, it was a fun place to be in which and i i i I just thought about transformers Mm. um i think that transformers a lot of people would put that in the category of like summertime blockbuster kind of film okay but they and not to like just critique transformers I, i didn't think transformers was very good but um i think where it wasn't like a good popcorn movie specifically was like it was just so serious like every like the the end of the world is always coming. Yeah. And so when they threw in these comedy like comic relief kind of deals, it like none of it ever clicked with me. Mm. You are talking about the first Transformers, the Michael I think Bay most one? of them. Okay. I mean they're all kind of the same. Yeah, they're all kind of the same. 
Um, I don't know what point I was getting at with that, but I'm, I, I did that. You, you made it. I made Whatever it. it was, you made it. Someone, someone's <laughs> like, I get. You're talking to me, Matt. That's who you're talking to. We do this for just that one person, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't, you know, isn't surprising. I think I know who that one person is, <laughs> and yep, they listen every time. It's it's good good to know that they're getting talked to. Excellent. Um, so character development was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The comedy really well timed mm-hmm. um and it felt it, it it got you more than just on face value because it, it was motivated by these characters mm-hmm. um so it felt real to each character you got to see the different combinations of how they interacted and they interacted differently with each other mm-hmm. um which adds again to more of the feeling like a real fleshed out thing uh the music was great <sighs> anything else was great <laughs> it was all great. It was all great. Uh, were there any things that you thought fell short? We've mentioned some of them already. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of elaborate. You kind of mentioned the lore dump. Um, I, I think the, the only shortcoming that I had was at at the beginning, you know, doing the introduction to the characters was great and it was fun. I think the, the backstory of the world and the political alignments and mm-hmm. all of that stuff – it was necessary to understand the context, and and I think they had to do it in a movie like this just to boot up everyone on the world. Mm-hmm. That felt a little bit flat to me. It, it felt like all that information at the beginning of the movie, like right after the fun Star-Lord scene, just came really, really fast, rapid fire. And I was like, okay, this is just like a nerdy information dump on the political state of the universe. And so it kind of... It, that took me out of the movie a little bit at mm-hmm. that point, and so I think that was the, that was really the only point where the movie kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, because you didn't feel I, I don't know about you or anybody else, but I didn't feel like a connection to the world that they were saving. Like, oh yeah, we need to save this world. Like, this world is important to me. Hmm. It was more just kind of like, oh, these this world is full of like light and good people, and the other uh, world is like, oh man, mean nasty people. Right. Don't you want them not to do that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't want them to destroy it. But like, it wasn't like this is my home or anything like that. Or right. this wasn't even any of the characters' homes. Mm-hmm. And and did you really? I mean, they, they they talked about like this whole war and this racial conflict, you know, between. I mean, it didn't feel like anything to me, really. Yeah. Uh, except that, and especially because outside of the war that they were having, they had a, a pseudo truce, and but there's just this madman. It's just like right. whatever. No, I'm gonna wipe them all out because they're all they all need to die. Yeah, and and they kind of just kind of brushed over that point. Yeah. They mentioned it, and you're supposed to remember that that's the the meaning behind of everything that's happening. But they didn't. Yeah, they kind of treated it offhand. I thought. Well, and now that I'm thinking about it, uh, with I forget even what the villain's name was. Thanos. Is no, no, the, no. It was the okay. that was the big that was the big yeah. guy, and he'll he'll become more important later. I do know enough about comic books that he will be very much more important later okay uh but there was the crazy guy uh i don't remember his name at all but we're just gonna call him the crazy guy okay and uh he like besides him just being the the crazy villain did you did you feel like anything apart about his character at all like did you feel like there was any like real motivation except that he just wanted like racial cleansing uh that seemed to be about the extent of his personality and background right and yeah it, so even when like they 
you know, like not anybody can hold the gem, but he could because he's powerful enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really feel like there was any explanation for why he was that powerful. Right. And like, how did he know he was powerful enough to do right. it until he did it? Yeah. He was just kind of like put in this place of like, not at Thanos level, but mm-hmm. also not at like normal warlord level. Yeah. And so, but I guess we just had to accept that. And I, I mean, as far as shortcomings, I guess not making the villain like endearing or real to me is not one of the things I'm going to like harp on, I guess. Right. I mean, you can approach it from some different ways. I mean, you can, you can have the villain be evil, but understandable and relatable. Yes. Or he can just be a pure evil, massive force that you need to fight against. You just need to stop. Yeah. Which in... I was very glad that one of the things that stops him for even just a little second is dance contest. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, well, okay. I'm I'm gonna hold off my my completion of my annihilation of this race just so I can monologue for a while, and then you throw <laughs> me out of it with a dance competition. Yep. Which which the monologue is kind of like with every every villain that's yeah. like ever villained before. Uh, but we kind of haven't talked about uh, the the fun ways that Star-Lord kind of solves problems. Okay. Um, Because there's the prison scene where Drax is about to kill Gahora. Mm -hmm. And instead of like a normal hero where he's just like, oh, I'm going to come in and no, you shouldn't do that. I'm going to stop you. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of like off in the corridor on the side. He's like, "Uh, it's maybe not the best idea. I mean, I'm not going to stop you. But if you think about it, you would get a better chance at killing the guy you want to kill if you don't kill her. How about that? <laughs> and he's just kind of, you know, Drax is like thinking it through his head. He's like, you promise I'll be able to kill him? And he's like, yeah, you let Gohor go. We'll, uh, we'll make sure that you get to kill that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. You'll get the chance. Let's do this. Uh, and then, of course, you know, at the end with the dance contest, uh, that <laughs> that was really the, just the cherry on top of the Sunday. <laughs> uh, because, you know, we've gone through all this action, uh, emotional roller coasters, and now we're at the end. And we're like, well, how is this going to? resolve itself mm-hmm. well part of that is a dance contest which is awesome so yeah i really enjoyed that um yeah i think we covered most of the things that we wanted to cover uh long story short go see the movie mm-hmm. uh if guardians of the galaxy is listening and is uh very thankful for all the promotion that we've given them you can compensate us in any way you want to uh are you saying Guardians of the Galaxy is a sentient being? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy is hanging out in, in his apartment, listening to his, you know, our podcast on his headphones, and he's like, you know, those guys uh, did a good job. I'll uh, send him some posters. I'll, I'll take posters. Okay. All right. Uh, so we also have to end the podcast, though, with our phrase of the day. Oh, yes. I almost forgot. I actually really almost forgot. And our, our phrase of the day is making a beeline. Making a beeline. I have heard that phrase. So you are in a hurry. You're on your way to a party. And all you have to do is pick up some Mountain Dew. Okay. So you run into the store. You know exactly where the Mountain Dew is. Mm -hmm. So you make a beeline for the Mountain Dew. And then you make a beeline for the register. Is it that you try to trace out the shape of a capital letter B as you're going to the Mountain Dew? You could do that, but you would be... Wasting a lot of precious time, a lot of precious party time. Uh, so that's not making a beeline. That's not making a beeline. Oh, okay. Uh, making a beeline is making a straight line, like the shortest distance from A to B. And what that references is the insect bees, when they find um, 
a source of nectar uh, to go get, they come back to the hive. And then they do their little buzz buzz dance. And they tell them where they are. Like coordinates like buzz buzz uh, 50 degrees north, buzz buzz 20 degrees minutes west, whatever right. they say. And so then the rest of the bees, they make a uh, the shortest distance between that and the and the nectar that was communicated to them. So that's a bee line, the mm. straight line from here to there. Uh, because when bees leave that way, when they're not just like scavenging or whatever, they only carry enough like energy to go that far. So if you ever seen like a, a bee get kind of like lost or whatever, mm-hmm. he'll just start like losing energy pretty quickly because he's only he only carried enough gas for that trip. Interesting. Uh, and so they have to make straight line there, straight line back. Um because they don't want to waste, you know, energy like being taken away from the hive. Race, waste the sweet, sweet nectar juices. Sweet. Or the, the sweet, sweet nectar that we as humans just steal from them and, and put on top of our bread for honey bread in the morning. Thanks, bees, for slaving for us and creating sweet confections for nothing in return. I mean, I really appreciate it. I yeah. really think that that's how they should have made Guardians of the Galaxy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they should have done it for no money. <laughs> I see how you're tying this back in. Because then I would only have to pay three dollars instead of thirty-five to go see a movie. It's not thirty-five. It's not thirty-five. Milwaukee's not that expensive. Yeah. Um, well, thank you everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, this was the big spoiler Guardians of the Galaxy review by Pat and Matt at Never Any Narrative. Uh, if you want to give us any comments about what you thought about the film um, or any of our kind of odd ideas, or I guess mine, and that you. You've corrected. We've both got odd ideas. We've got ideas. Uh, You can reach us at neverendingnarrative at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at nenarrative. You can tweet at me at Matthew John Yeager on Twitter. And if you figure out wherever Pat is, you can tweet at him. I'm I'm somewhere in this, like, Twitter thing. Whatever. I'm not good at it. there There are no guarantees that Pat will ever be able to find his way back to his account and see that. But it does exist. It's in the woods somewhere. In well, the woods? Yeah. Twitter is in the woods? No, no, no. Your house is in the woods of the Twitter world. Like, it's oh. a little bit overgrown. But, like, if you... Like, his, the breadcrumbs got eaten up by the crows. And oh, you yeah. Just they, can't find they, were, they were gone a long time ago. So, uh, that's where you can reach us. Thanks again for listening. And this was Never in Narrative. Honey